Good evening, church. Happy New Year again. Hangry New Year. (laughs) Not really. I do want to punctuate um, what Pastor AJ said about our school of intercession. Um, This is the, we, we are going to be offering this around the country and around the world, but this is the last time that the two gems, Jim LaFoon and myself, are going to do it live. Uh, We're going to be video recording this, and then this particular school will be via media uh, henceforth. And so this is the last opportunity that you will have to do to attend SOI Part 1 live. And so uh, I want to encourage you, be here. Um, We are charging tuition for this school, $175, unless you are part of Grace Covenant Church, and it's absolutely free. And you don't have to travel to go do this. It is right here. And so let me encourage you. Don't just say, I don't want to do that. It's two days of my life. It will change you. It will change you. So let me encourage you. Make it a priority and be here. I'm looking down and someone's sitting in my chair. This is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. All right. Okay. Pastor Stephen and Pastor Sean approached me at the end of last year and talked about their prayer journey, the 21-day prayer journey that we're doing in this church, and I trust that you're on that journey. And um, as they began to describe this, I said, well, why don't I just give you guys Wednesday night? Why don't we just take the entire month and just, just talk about prayer and then leading up to our school of intercession at the first part of February? And so Um, Tonight, I want to begin what is going to be a four-part series on prayer, and I cannot think of a better way, um, as we heard Jessica talk about starting the new year in prayer. This is one of the reasons that we join our Every Nation family. We, we, We start the new year with a time of prayer and fasting, but... I would hope, I, and I'm thinking that we may layer this into the, to just life here at Grace, is that every January we're going to talk about this vital aspect of our relationship with how we communicate with God, and that being prayer. And tonight I want to just, by way of introduction, I want to start out with talking about when you pray, the privilege, the problem, and the paraclete. John Calvin One of the two great reformers said that prayer is the soul of faith. Now, we know that the soul is the emotions, it's the will, it's the intellect of an individual. But Calvin was saying here that prayer is the very stuff that informs faith. It's where it comes from. In his institutes, Calvin goes on and calls prayer the chief exercise of faith by which we daily receive God's benefits. Jesus didn't say, if you pray, Jesus said what? When you pray. So it's an understood, essential component of our relationship, our discipleship, It's the foundation of communication with God. And we know that communication is the essence of what? Any relationship. I mean, any of these pastors that sit on the front row can tell you is 
as, as men and women sit down and they struggle in their marriage, somewhere in the first 10 minutes, there's going to be an issue with what? Communication. What we're hearing. What is what she said. That's not what I said. That's what you heard. And so obviously prayer is the channel by which God has given us for relationship. It's the only way it happens. But let me say this. Prayer is not a burden. It is a privilege. I can't tell you how many times that believers approach prayer as, oh my gosh, it's like going to the gym. It's like getting my teeth cleaned twice a year. It's just whatever the thing is that you just don't want to do. That if you approach prayer as a burden, you miss something essential. It's not unlike my wife saying, sit with me on the couch, let's talk. Oh baby, that's such a burden. I'm sorry, somehow that's just not going to endear the relationship much. It's not, there's not going to be much intimacy. And I'm not talking about just in the other room of the house. I'm talking about, you know, in, in the flow of how we do life. It's not a burden, it's a privilege. And privilege is uniquely afforded by paternity. John 1.12 but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26, in Christ, you are sons of God through faith. Galatians 4.6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Privilege, access, and many times, Privilege is a euphemism for access. It's a privilege for you to be able to enter. The privilege that you can go into something that others can't go into. And the greatest privilege afforded children is what? Access to parents. Come on, parents. Your children have what? Access to you. Absolutely. This is one of the greatest privileges that children have. And then it's through that privilege of access that every benefit flows from there. And children have priority with their parents as well, in addition to privilege. And it's in that paternity that we are adopted as sons, which is manifested by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through what? Prayer. Jesus and in in instructing his disciples. His disciples figured out there was something about this relationship with the Father that, that Jesus did that was unique. John had taught his disciples to pray. And so the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And I think it's telling that it starts with our Father. It starts out relationally. Establishing paternity. Establishing he is daddy and we are his what? We are his sons. And listen to me, saints. While the blood grants us access, it's prayer that ushers us into this access. Let me say this again. While the blood grants us 
access. It gives us legal permissions, if you wish. It's prayer that ushers us into that access. That's the journey. That's how we get there. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. Let us approach the throne of grace with what? With confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So first of all, let's move beyond the burden to pray. Let's receive it for what it is. It is an absolute privilege that the God of everything has given you and I a vehicle by which we can commune with him. Amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And if you think about this, just the sovereign, supernatural aspect of what this is, we will be continually amazed at this privilege. But there's a problem. The problem is well stated by Paul in Romans 8th chapter. It says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Verse 26. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Now right there is the stated problem, is it not? And I want to say to you that after walking with God now for a long time, going on almost Well, I I won't give you the number. It's a long time. (laughs) But by the grace of God, the vast majority of my life, I can tell you that prayer never gets easier for me. I'm not saying I don't pray. I'm not saying it's not a privilege. I'm just saying that me just working my to-do list, my want list with God If I step back and realize what's really happening, that what do you say to a sovereign? What do you say to a king? What do you say to the Lord of lords? What do you say to the master of all? Hmm. We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Prayer problem is biblically stated, but it's divinely overcome. But for any problem to ever be addressed, we have to first identify what the problem is. Whether it's something that's that's going wrong with your car, something that's, that's, that's not quite right in your physical being. Describe the problem, if you wish. So what are the problems? Why don't we pray? I mean, we, are, we already understand it's a privilege. We understand that it is the means by which God has given us to be in relationship with him. But why don't we do it? If we prayed and we got immediate results, baby, we'd be some praying monsters. Let me just tell you. I mean, if somehow the way that we prayed, if God were somehow some genie with three wishes and we prayed and I'll beep, there it is. Oh, my goodness. Let me just tell you, you would be the chiefest of intercessors. 
a veritable Simeon and Anna in your generation. That said, because it rarely happens in the ways that we think or imagine, prayer doesn't quite work right. Some of these overarching problems are we're not sure what to say or pray. We aren't really sure we're being heard. This is a supernatural aspect where we have to do this by faith. It's not like me having a conversation with my friend Duke or having a conversation with my wife because I have immediate feedback that I've been heard. There's usually some acknowledgement. But many times we're praying and we're not getting a whole lot of immediate, imminent feedback. Or if we're convinced we're heard and our prayers are not answered, then why bother? And at some point, this becomes a relational issue. Well, I believe that God hears my prayers. He just never answers them. And this is an entire different message. And it begs the question, then, why aren't my prayers answered? It's real simple. God answers prayers that emanate from his will, not from yours. You see, prayer is divine feedback. Is that God incites something in our spirit man that in influences our soul to begin to pray in a different way. Pray in a way that ushers in his kingdom rather than the advance of our kingdom. Praise in a way that might disquiet us or maybe even discomforts us. But his will becomes more important than the temporary inconveniences. Let me tell you, the human soul doesn't pray that way. My flesh is weak. I mean, after just a few hours of fasting, I'm already, I'm already mad. <laughs> and Lord knows every, most of us in this room can afford to miss one or two meals. <laughs> hate to be the one to tell you. And so God gives us a paraclete. So, and what, what does that big word mean? It means, in the Latin, it means an advocate or helper. In our Christian parlance, it, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. If you were here on Sunday, I spoke about a renewed emphasis that I believe that God is going to place upon us. Not just to be hearers, but doers of the word. The, the, the necessity of being men and women of and by the Spirit. That just is not enough to say, well, I'm in a Spirit-filled church. They raise their hands. We use guitars here. We have, a, we have a life in the Spirit that we go to. That's not enough. It's not going to get it done for you on Thursday morning when you want to kill a coworker. And all prayer must be spirit-enabled. And I'm not talking about now just the gift of tongues. 
that spirit-inspired language. I'm not talking about just one of the charismatas or the charismas of the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about even when you use words that you understand and you're praying with your will and your mind, you still need the Holy Ghost directing and instructing you. Hmm. All prayer, inasmuch as we know that all scripture is God-breathed, the reality is all prayer must be God-breathed. It's got to be the breath and the pneuma of God that is in conjunction with, it is in tandem with yours. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And in this, we find a couple of advocates of prayer that God has. First of all is his very son. He intercedes for us before the throne of glory, securing for us the benefits of his mediatorial work. 1 John 2, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Do you realize that Jesus seated today, right now, at the throne, seated beside the Father, is making intercession for you and for me. One of the things that we teach and we encourage are prayer shields. That you've got people around your life that are praying for you and in turn, you're part of prayer shields for others' lives. One of the things that if you'll come to School of Intercession, we'll teach you about. But can I say that you have the greatest prayer shield you could ever hope to have in Jesus Christ. He is praying for you all the time. Even when you're not praying, even when you're not praying for yourself, Jesus is praying for you. All of those sins that you, you don't even know. Come on. You know, you, you, you felt like 10 years ago that you were doing okay. You felt pretty good about you. But you walk with Jesus a while and you get a little bit greater glimpse of who this God is, the depth of his perfection, the depth of his holiness. And all of a sudden now, stuff that wasn't a problem 10 years ago, now all of a sudden you find yourself under deep conviction about. I mean, we get the outside cleaned up pretty quick because we want people... To like us. But it becomes now a motivational issue. Oh, we might not use those words. We may not roll our eyes anymore. But boy, what's firing off in our hearts? And it's that all of a sudden now we find ourselves repenting of things that 10 years ago we didn't even know we needed to repent of. Hmm. But Jesus was covering those sins, you see. I believe it's the Catholics talk about sins of commission and sins of omission. Just because you don't know it's sin doesn't mean that you're not still held accountable. This is why we need a mediator. This is why we need an advocate. Wow. You know, we're going to get to heaven. We're going to see all this. We have a moment we're going to have the list. It's going to be like, I didn't know it was that bad. 
Oh, son, it was that bad and worse. And not just at the beginning of your walk, but at the end. You were still that removed. You were still that detached from true holiness and righteousness. And Jesus is there advocating for us. We are the objects of that advocacy and intercession which he carries on apart from us in heaven. But then there's a second advocate. The Spirit of God is Christ's advocate in our hearts to meet our deepest needs. Jesus, in announcing the sending of this particular advocate, in John 16 says, I, if I don't go away, the helper... There's that word, paraclete, shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do you realize the sending of this helper, this paraclete, that the requirement was Jesus' departure? Do you realize what his exit strategy was? Calvary. And we think about many times, we think about the benefits of that cross as it involves his shed blood, as it involves us being made right. But do we ever think about that it required his death, that the Holy Spirit might be released to you and to me? That we should be so casual, come on, about that presence in our life. That we should be so casual about that advocate of prayer who's on the inside of us. Wow. Andrew Murray, theologian, writer, overall just deep guy. Just as wonderful and real as the divine work of God on the throne graciously hearing. And by his mighty power answering prayer, just as divine is the work of the Son, interceding and securing and transmitting the answer from above, is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, in the prayer that awaits and obtains the answer. And the intercession within is as divine as the intercession above. And saints, inasmuch as you don't see this intercession happening, In the heavenlies, we're many times completely unaware that this same intercession is happening within us. There are moments that the Holy Spirit will grant us access, if you wish, into what these prayers are. But for the most part, they're veiled to us. And yet God was so intent that two-thirds of his person is devoted to prayer for you and for me. Isn't that fascinating? It makes one wonder, what percentage of my life then is devoted to prayer? And as much as we have an advocate, we also have access. I've already read Ephesians 2. Through him we have access. But the picture behind this, the original word picture in the original language, is that of a court official who introduces people who desire an audience with the king. This is what the Spirit does to us. He makes introduction. 
Remember when Jesus said that the Spirit will take from what is mine and do what? He will make it known to you. You realize in, in one sense that the Spirit is granting us unique access to Jesus. And of course, then Jesus to the Father. That's some neat Trinitarian doctrine, by the way, if you weren't sure what was happening there. It's like a key code. It's like your password. And please use special characters. This is what the Holy Spirit unlocks. And it gives us access to that throne of grace. There's affirmation. Back to Romans 8. You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And that's a capital S speaking, to a, speaking about a person. And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy. And he testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. See, do you realize that if the Holy Spirit never showed up in any other way or with any other ministry, the mere fact that on the inside of us, he is testifying, you are not illegitimate. You are not unwanted. You don't need to take a DNA test to find out who your parents are. That if not the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest God's paternity to us. And our inheritance is first predicated on that affirmation of sonship. It's why a lot of folk in the body of Christ, they're trying to name it and claim it, wondering why it doesn't work. It's because they're trying to get the promise before they get the paternity. You get these things out of order, it never works. You got to understand from whom it comes. Not just where it flows from, but from whom it comes. And that begins with a revelation of who daddy is. Because daddies are the ones that provide. Some of you ladies are out there saying, wait a minute. I went to work today. I bring home. I understand that. And I'm not dismissing any part, ladies, of your role and what you do and what you contribute. But I believe there's something about daddy's providing that provides a sense of security. It provides a sense of, I know when the chips are down, I can always find daddy. Because daddy's got the wallet. Daddy's got the tools. Daddy's got the guns. And happy to use them all. But it begins by knowing who daddy is. Amen? The assurance. 2 Corinthians 1, it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts, what, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And you say, what has this got to do with prayer? Everything. Every time you allow the Holy Spirit to wake you up, to ignite and excite your prayer life, it's like you pulling out a receipt when you leave Costco. I didn't steal it. You got the dude there checking it off. It's really mine. 
you realize that it's the Holy Spirit that's checking off? Okay, yeah, you belong to Daddy. Every time we touch that, we pull out our receipt, paid for, bought and paid for. Except we're the ones that have been purchased. Ephesians 1, Paul writing to this church, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. We begin to pray under the power of the Holy Spirit, this paraclete, and there's addition and acceptance that happens. He takes our faltering and imperfect prayers and he adds to them the incense and the merits of Christ. And puts him in a form acceptable for our heavenly father. We see this picture in Revelation chapter 8 verse 3. It says, another angel came, stood at the altar holding to a golden censer. And much incense was given him and and that he might add it to the prayers of the saints upon the altar which was before the throne. See, I believe that. He takes our inadequate, inarticulate, and even infrequent musings and groanings, and he makes them all intelligent, intelligible, and acceptable to God. You know, as a parent, as your child is learning a new language, the first one, you don't berate them for their mistakes. Use your words. And then you will help them. Come on. You will repeat it with them. You will articulate it with them. Say it back. But you don't say that. Come on, idiot. What's wrong with you? I'm not talking to you. Come back when you're five years old and you've learned the language. We don't do that as parents. What do we do? We add two. We coax them into it. This is what our Heavenly Father does to us in the context of prayer. It's not a matter of, would you just go away, shut up, leave it, leave this to the professionals. The guys that come on Friday nights. Do not try this at home. No, try this at home. He is a portable God of anything. We don't need to come to 4600 Brookfield. We don't need to go to Temple or Tabernacle anymore. We have been made now that dwelling in that temple of the Holy Ghost. And then prayer accelerates and motivates. The Spirit is the great catalyst of prayer. Yeah, need and stress are effective motivators. But prayer apart from crisis is best motivated by a spirit in us. One theologian said, we're never really men of prayer in the best sense until we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 10, chapter 12, rather, verse 10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. I don't know about you, but we need that same outpouring. You know, we talk a lot about the outpouring. More rain, revival, miracles, money. (laughs) Could I say that we need to agree with the prophet that a spirit of grace and supplication might be poured out on the house of David, 
on the church. He reminds, he illuminates, he takes that which belongs to Jesus, he makes it known to us, and he reveals our needs beyond that which we would ordinarily be able to comprehend, much less communicate. I was relating a story, I was talking to one of our European pastors today. And I was relating a story of a meeting that I went to many years ago. And I walked in thinking, okay, this is going to be great. And there were some big names there. And the Holy Spirit just basically face-planted me. Just. And I'm there for like two, three hours. Trying to get up. Arguing with God. I'm done. He said, no. What are you doing? I'll never forget the Holy Spirit said to me, you wouldn't understand if I told you. I got offended. I mean, I'm slain in the spirit and I'm arguing with God. That's the kind of knucklehead that I am. He said, it's none of your business. I'll never forget. I said, what do you mean it's none of my business? It's me. This is my business. He said, you wouldn't understand if I told you. Because what I'm doing in and with you right now is far beyond what you can even comprehend in this moment of your life. Now, I would love to say that I was in such a spiritual place that God didn't have to face plant me for that to happen. But he did. But you see, this is what prayer does. It breaks us into these eternal, heavenly realities that we would never have any other way. Wow. J. Stuart Holden says this. This is the secret of prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer is to pray under a direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit whose petitions for and through us are always according to divine purpose and hence certain of answer. Praying in the Holy Spirit is cooperating with the will of God and such prayer is always victorious. How many Christians... There are who cannot pray and who seek by effort, resolve, joining prayer groups, etc., to cultivate in themselves the holy art of intercession to no avail. Here for them and for all is the only secret to a real prayer life. Be filled with the Spirit, who is the Spirit of grace and supplication. What have I said tonight? When you pray. And not just five days at the beginning of January. Not again when you just get jammed up. Crisis. When you pray. And God wants to redefine for many of us that it's not a burden, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Other than heaven itself, it might be one of the greatest privileges afforded humanity. Is access to God in such a way. Overcoming the problems. I love scripture. You got a problem. But here's the answer to the problem. The Spirit's going to pray through you, in you, in accordance with the will of God. 
And then the paraclete, the promise of help. I will send a helper. He is the great enabler. See, God never intended for us to try to do this on our own. Even if we consider the opus of the New Testament, it's really three sections. You've got the Gospels, the story of Jesus. You've got this strange book at the end that nobody understands. <laughs> Even if they have a whiteboard. And then you've got these epistles that for the most part are life in the Spirit. This is how you do life. This is how you relate to God and to one another. And the only way it works is through the enabling power of the Holy Ghost. Pray with me. Lord, help us tonight. Lord, many of us come here tonight <laughs> weakened by missing a few meals. <laughs> oh, but Lord, let that reflect something of our own inadequacy and weakness. God, to do anything that's ever going to be pleasing or acceptable to you. Lord, we acknowledge tonight the privilege of communication privilege of access acknowledging the problem that all humanity has and how to do this thing but, the, but God the great and certain help that you sent the paraclete the spirit a helper to pray in through and for us Lord thank you for these people thank you for this great church a church that understands deeply what's being shared here tonight this is not something built with the hands of man. But God, that you are the architect and the builder here. God, let that be the same reality in each of our lives. So God, help us in this prayer journey. God, in these 21 days, I pray that it wouldn't just be a one and done. But that 21 days would set forth a pattern and a habit that would be with us for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you, church.